Hello, and uh, welcome to Wednesday in Westeros pre preview or preview season season preview seven. Yeah, yeah, fine. we've we've pre previewed it. I, sorry, I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. Hey, um, we have uh, previewed it. We have done a fan theories episode with our friends Emily and Peter of the Fan Theories Podcast. We've done a crossover event, so this is uh, we might have one more pre- preview before season seven actually starts. But this is. Uh, this is one of those previous. We're going to talk about some other stuff. How's it going, That's Taylor? Right. It's good. Well, we this is this has got to be the last preview because isn't it next week? Aren't we on next week? Or no. am I? There's one, one more week. week. Oh one, shoot! One okay. more Sunday, so we could uh. conceivably do one more preview and then do a Sunday. I don't think we're going to get a lot of news. So and no, I'll just hit, not between I'll now the and then at least. Yeah, I'll hit the ground running with it. With what I was, I kind of hinted to you. You hadn't seen some of this stuff. So, Con of Thrones. Uh, was uh, this past weekend. Neither of us attended, sadly. Um, although, strangely, it was held in the town where you and I met, in Nashville, Tennessee. Was it um, really? Yeah. Uh, oh, interesting. Opryland Hotel or whatever. Wow. Um, Why there, I wonder? I, I don't know, but what a savvy... You know, I, I don't like the idea that there's like a, a Wizard World Comic Con in Nashville. It doesn't make any sense to me when Dragon Con is down the street <laughs> in Atlanta, basically. And yeah. Nashville's not a big geek city. It's got like two comic book shops, but and and, and ones that aren't at, really up to par, as we've discussed before. Like it's not like this. Like they're the greatest comic shops in the world. Yeah. It's like, uh, uh. Well, yeah. I, I, I there there's one we're, we're talking about in particular. You and I have in mind, but there is another one that I think is really excellent. There, it's just a little bit out of town. And if I can uh, remember the name, I would uh, definitely uh, buzz market them, but I can't remember the name right now. But anyway, it is. I do like it as a destination for a Con of Thrones kind of thing because there is no city that's like the Game of Thrones city. It's like you just need to find a central location where people can get to it easily. And that's great. Yeah. Nashville's a great place for stuff like that. That's awesome. That's true. Um, yeah, that's very true. Sorry. So anyway, a couple of news items that I don't think necessarily came out of the Con of Thrones. They just sort of happened at the same time. Um, so I'm going to start with the... The good news, I think, which is cool. Uh, we learned that the, maybe we already knew this, the final episode of season seven is going to be 82 minutes long. Ooh. So almost a movie. Man, um, they should have just went for 90. <laughs> like, why not just I know, make it? it must have, that's what I keep thinking is like, it must have just been some quirk of editing that it ended under 90. Um, there is an episode this upcoming season that is only 50 minutes. So actually the shortest mm. episode. But again, I figure there's just some quirk of editing. Like they realize like, hey, we can't, we don't want to just pad 10 minutes on this. So we're done. I really um, wonder now, now, do we know is that 50 minute one, like the penultimate episode? Or do we know where that falls in the order? Oh, that is a great question uh no we don't um and actually uh, the news says that two season seven episodes will exceed 60 minutes um in addition to the planned uh 82 minute finale so we're gonna have three episodes over an hour which is really cool of them to do you know and like we always talk about that's just a great you know exploit this new model of programming you don't have to be stuck to an hour you don't have to be stuck to 26 episodes per season or whatever like just do whatever you want it's you got the i wonder if there was a lot of sort of hand wringing inside of hbo like well i don't know should we do that like i I would hope it was just like yeah of course whatever whatever you guys want like if make it two hours for all we you know all we need they probably i wonder if they encourage them to do two hours like hey we really want to make this the the final i was gonna say like don't you think that 
you know, at HBO, they're like, whatever you want, guys. <laughs> Benioff, Weiss. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I don't know. I still, I still think back to that time when Lost uh, was like the first network TV show to say, hey, this will be, we want to end this at six seasons. And the network's like, I don't know. Like that's, we've never done that in the U.S. before. That's just such a foreign concept. And then they did it. Now everybody does it. Now it's like, now it's just like second nature. But just, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that like, you know, the very, even on HBO, which HBO has never had commercials. They, they should have been doing this like, you know, back in 2005 and six. And it's only like now that they're like, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll play around with the format a little bit, you know, go a little longer if we need to. Um, I just, I'm glad that we're finally there. It's just, it's so strange that we weren't, we weren't back in the old school not that long ago. Does that make sense? No, exactly. So, no, I, uh, I, I was just uh, uh, letting you go there because I agree. Um, I, so the, the, that good news about longer episodes with season seven leads into even cooler news, which this is actually Ooh. actual news we heard this weekend, which was that in season eight, we could actually have feature length episodes. Whoa. So we know um, that season eight is only going to have six episodes. And if a couple of those are like movie length to start, you know, wrapping this up, I mean, that could be incredible. And they better Um, all be directed by Miguel uh, Sapochnik uh, because he (laughs) he is absent this season. And I'm like, it better be because he's prepping. That was one of our hypotheses. Yeah. He better be because he's prepping six two hour movies to be filmed this year to be shown next year. So I've led you that. That's the roller coaster going all the way up. <laughs> Here, here's where it drops down. Uh, but we also learned season eight might not arrive until 2'nineteen. Yeah, but you know what? It, it, we you are can't not be as, sad as about angry that. about that as I am. No, I, we shouldn't be. Nobody should be angry about that. Now, if this was season like you know four or five, I'd be a little annoyed. It's like, well, what's going on? Yeah, you know, but this is the last season, right? This is this is it until their stupid spinoff starts. So, like, you know, I want if they're going to be si- only six of them, and you know, we the the escalation of quality, especially last season, like that two parter, Michael Sapochnik, Battle of the Bastards, Winds of Winter double you know double uh, episode like that was so good that my like i I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about season seven under this the circumstances if, if he's involved in any way which i'm assuming because those were so good they were so revered he has been you know he did hard home he's done like the heavy hitter episodes of the last couple seasons right. i can only imagine they're like michael we want you to hang back we need you to start prepping eight now and because if they're going to be that long if they're going to be that epic that you you need the production schedule to start like in january of this year um for those things so i would only hope i'm just getting excited thinking about the idea of this if they can manage to you know put out uh new information or, or you know new idea new updates in the meantime to kind of satiate all of us that'll be great one of the things they could do is maybe release another book next year in place of a season. <laughs> so maybe, um, just maybe. <laughs> um, I let's that's a great uh, pivot point to go into what is going on with George R. R. Martin. A whole lot of uh, nothing, apparently. I again, we we talked right before we hit record on uh, you know what what news we'd heard out of Game of Thrones or sorry, Con of Thrones, and I. I, you know, I'd, I'd followed the uh, Storm of Spoilers crew because I, I follow them on Twitter and and they were all instrumental and in, I believe actually setting up the whole con. So and from them, I got a lot of other news and tidbits out of con, but it really didn't sound like there was any George 
Martin stuff at all. Um, and, and, and he and, used to bring, I mean, he used to bring a couple pages or a chapter or two yeah. back and, and tease them a little bit. Like, hey, here's what I'm working on. Let me just say this too, because I know I can already sense out there, like the list, some of the listeners are going to be like, man, d- you're sounding like Kathy Bates in misery. Like, don't go down that road. Like, I, I get that. And I, I get that, you know, there's, there's that sort of temptation for all the fans to sort of, you know, get pitchforks and torches and like go to his house. I'm like, we demand the book. However, this is we have now waited how long since the last book? How long has it been? I believe it was uh right after the first season. Um so yeah, 2010, I, 2011, maybe somewhere. I think it was 2011 was the last book, so maybe yeah. six years ago. Um, and I understand like these are big ass books. This is basically like writing the Bible from scratch every time, and I understand that. But in this case, the fact that George R. R. Martin has been like literally like we haven't seen when was the last time we saw new chapters? Was it last year or the year before? I forget. God, the, that's a really good question, timing. too. I think I think it was maybe if it was last year, I think it was before the season even aired. Yeah. So it was early last year. year. Like it, last year. it might have been 2016, but early 2016. But I, 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 I just remember they were, right. they were like, there was some some hope that they're like, we might have this book out by Christmas of 2016. And that came yeah. and went and nobody said anything. So it's like, but here's here's my point. And again, I, I understand. I've seen, I've been in these arguments before. They're like, we don't want a misery situation here. We don't, you know, James Kahn and Kathy Bates. That's a whole, they can easily slip into that. Um, however, he has now been working on this for like six years, you know, and I understand that, you know, with, with writing something new at this level, you know, with this much demand and pressure is not easy. I myself am very behind on many things, both uh, for us, you know, in our projects, but also just in personal writing and stuff that I'm working on. I understand. Like I, I completely get that mindset. George R. R. Martin doesn't have a day job. This is all he has to do. <laughs> all he has to do is sit in his uh, his home or wherever he wants to write and just write. Like he doesn't have to do other TV shows or other books or other projects as he seems to find himself, you know, falling into. He doesn't have to go to every con in the world, you know, to like you know, to meet people. I mean, he can. I'm glad he does sometimes, but this, all he really has to do his only job is to write this book or at least further this, you know, get further along. And I feel like because he's not, he's just maybe he's not as interested in as he once was. You know, maybe he just doesn't, maybe with the shows getting past him, you know, exposing ideas that he sort of had hoped would be in the book, you know, or at least going down a road that he thought he would be the first to break. And they're doing it very well, in my opinion. Maybe he's just sort of like, you know, I just, I don't have the oomph anymore. And like other, the world has gotten, you know, he's not the the god of his world anymore. Like it's been taken over by others, like between oh, the comics man. and the shows and the fan, you know, fans, you know, it, like you know, uh, recycling and, and re-examining every theory to, you know, to a thousand degrees. Like maybe it's just like, Hey, I, this, this world has grown beyond me. And I just don't, I don't, it, he just doesn't have that same in, inspiration or impetus to write anymore. Cause he's been writing since what the early nineties game of Thrones has been sort of in his head at least since then. Yeah. So it's like, I don't, you know, at some point, and maybe if that is the case, he just needs to, Maybe he needs to do that thing that we've always sort of speculated, like bring in Neil Gaiman, bring in some other guys to basically help you finish. You can sort of executive produce, you know, you've got the outline, you can dictate kind of what you want, but leave it to those guys to really get us over the finish line. You know, I would be fine with that. It'd be a cool, cool sort of way to see other points of view that are sort of within the vein of George R. R. Martin, but you know, and they're people we respect that are his friends that could pull it off. And what are your thoughts? I mean, uh, it's funny because so we started this podcast because it it grew out of these long conversations we had about Game of Thrones on our 
other podcast, The Todd and Taylor Show, and probably on the very first one of those where you and I ever talked to Game of Thrones, I said, my friend Meg, who got me into the books, uh, when she and I, you know, this is still, this is two or three years ago or more, when she and I would talk about, you know, do you think he'll be done with the next book before the next season? She would say, oh, it's so cute that you think it's actually ever going to happen. <laughs> and I have grown since then into like, I don't, I don't really care. And you'd ask me in one yeah. of our first episodes, like, would, you know, am I interested in reading the next book? And, and I think at the time I was like, yeah, if it comes out, you know, at this point, I probably will. But I, I just don't know now if I care, but I sympathize with Martin, um, mm. who has written many millions of words more than I do. <laughs> Yeah, and exactly. you know, I struggle to make make a deadline for you know a, a nine hundred word article or something, and he's got these tomes, and I think what the what the frustrating part has got to be, and then, I don't know if this is you know if this if you're a, a writing instructor if this is a good takeaway from this or something, but I almost feel like if you're if you're art if like the me the piece of art that you put out is a book then an auto it ought to almost be self-contained and his big uh -huh. problem is those last two books are not at all self-contained like basically yeah. first three novels you could kind of read on its own you'd be confused but there would be a story to it you know uh -huh. and what's really exciting is three picks up right where two leaves off as i recall it's like um no time passes and so that's that's very exciting you know but then four and five they happen simultaneously and they're on different sides of the world and they have all these characters that, like we don't really care about i mean you know like if you think daenerys's uh, uh journey takes a long time in the show it's like oh my god you have no idea like she's still in fucking marine in book five Oh, you know, geez. I forgot about that. And, yeah. And, and book book five ends with John dying. That's the end of it. Wow. So it's right. like he ended a book <laughs> by murdering the main character of this, you know, entire plot up there. Well, so, here's a question. Well, here's a question. Why? So like, is it going to be satisfying for book readers now knowing like, is it because they're so long and so detailed and yeah, he's going to give you stuff the show hasn't shown you, but if he sticks to the same basic outline, is it going to be as satisfying for you as a book reader to be like, well, I know John's coming back to life. I mean, he may go about it a slightly different way or a slightly more detailed way, but is there you, cause before it was like, I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, the show is behind the book, so it makes sense to read the book because then it's like, okay, this is the first time I'm experiencing this story. Yeah. Now you'll basically be getting it secondhand. I mean, with, you know, with some bells and whistles, but still, is that, is that going to be interesting to you? Uh, well, that's kind of why I just don't care about the book. I mean, yeah. the, the, uh, oh man, I really, I just I, I, I just no, no, no. I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, because I wrote a couple years ago uh, when the the raping of Sansa happened on the show. And I was just so disgusted with, like, how the show kept doing these things and never sort of paying them off later with justice. Or, you know, like, it was like the way they were handling everything in the moment was just a mess. Mm -hmm. uh, season four and, and five were just kind of messy in that way. And mm -hmm. um, I was, you know, I was very frustrated and I hated that, like, they kept changing details from the books and sort of diverging from, and there was this uh, writer, I believe it was 80 uh, Robertson or Robinson from the verge who talked about how she was done with it. And because it had turned her into this, what she called a lore hound, 
of like mm. <laughs> where you're constantly <laughs> checking like well what's the canon on that you know and yeah, um yeah. and that's what i i've been doing too and i think that that you know since it's like like martin himself is almost just a lore hound now like he's just yeah. it's just fucking lore like i it doesn't uh, i mean think about this another way so like okay. in our fan theories episode that we put out last week um we were talking about a couple of fan theories of like for example like who is uh azora high and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute again but um this is this prince who was promised this kind of like prophetic character that's sort of uh, Christ-like that supposedly came before to end the long night. And um, so if it's Jon Snow or Jon Targaryen, like too on the nose to us, like as, because Game of Thrones has all these great conspiracy theories of who could it be or whatever. But if you think about it, like actually, but if you read it from the books and it takes so long for for John to kind of redeem himself and become a leader and like figure out his parentage and all that kind of stuff. That's actually like a really clever storytelling thing. It's not mm -hmm. necessarily too on the nose because the way Martin gets there, I mean, he kills them, you know, and all these other things, like it doesn't necessarily, uh, it's not a thing that you realize like in the, you know, in the first book, like, Oh yeah, that yeah. guy's going to turn out to be the, you know, you don't really know where he's going to go. So it really is a great piece of storytelling. It's just that it's taken so long and there's so much other lore and history and world building that that story point almost seems insignificant because he's given us so many details about this world and this history of the world that our brains are going crazy trying to connect all the sort of theories in this world. And it's like, no, man, you got away from the basic cool story like plot point. Yeah, um, it's the first time it, we've ever experienced a a story of this magnitude Um that that isn't done before all the other multimedia stuff begins so like with lord of the rings and the samarillion and all that like that's that was done 70 years ago long before any movies or anything started dune same thing you know all the dune books you know even the, yeah. the, the weird ones by brian herbert or whatever his son's name is um those are all done so anything moving forward is going to be it, it that base that foundation is there it's solid it's set anything else can be built on that star wars same thing like the first three star wars movies were done before the you know the books began before the prequels before anything else like those that original story so this is the first time we've had something that isn't done that everything else is kicking in and i wonder is there an opportunity to to try something new and say and this is from george r, r. martin's perspective and say you know what um, this is the first time this kind of thing has ever happened. I put a ton of work into this. I'm going to now step back and basically be like the, the grand maester of all game of Thrones things. And I'm going to commit, if you want to commission a story, if you want to, if you want to do fan fiction, if you want to do comics, if the show obviously exists, come to me, I'll basically give you sort of the framework that you have to operate from. Or if you want to you know, make sure something is canon worthy, I'm the, I'm the keeper of that. But otherwise the, the story now exists beyond me. And like from now on, there won't be a, a final book. There won't be any more books. I might do like little writings here and there. I might take some of the chapters and make them little like short no you know, novellas or I might you know, turn one into a comic or something. But from this point on, like the, everything has pivoted and like the, you know, I'm the fulcrum that holds everything together, but everything is, is now past me. And like, and just, and just accept that. Like, is there anything wrong with that idea? Man, I love that you brought up Star Wars in there because I was, I was, about to say well it happened with star wars um yeah. but i think star wars is actually a great parallel because 
Lucas had bits of that world and that history there. You know, I mean, we know that from that script of the Star Wars, where, where there were certain details yeah. that were different, but there was some history that was alluded to. And then there are these callbacks that we've seen in recent movies about like the um, Star Killer was, you know, Luke Skywalker's originally original last name. And, uh, uh, you know, so there were, but anyway, Lucas made these films and he, you know, had like a novelization of them that may have filled in some stuff. But then he really did act as that kind of editor in chief or uh, mm-hmm. you know, ombudsman of yes, the universe and people started putting it together. And I remember several years ago, way before the uh, you know new movies were being put together, I believe his wired magazine did this great profile on the actual like ombudsman of <laughs> the star Wars canon. And this mm-hmm. guy who knew everything that had been written in all the novelizations and all the comic books and stuff. And, and it wasn't Lawrence Kasdan. It was somebody else. No, it was just a dude that worked for Lucasfilm and his, uh, but he was the guy that would kind of approve your stories. So if you were, you know, if you got the commission to write the new Star Wars novel and you wanted to bring in this character from whatever, he was the one that would say, no, 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 that person grew up on this planet and that was established Mm. in this novel and you can't change that. And, you know, they kept, there was a person that kept it all in canon. And I love that idea that that's what Martin becomes. I think what Martin has done for better or worse, like I, I get the artistic instinct to just be in total control of your world that you've created. But it, it is definitely made it so that like he, there's a, <laughs> a definite like a uh, bottleneck. <laughs> well, and it's like, he seems to, he seems to be the kind of guy who has way more fun going to cons, you know, chatting with everybody, get basically geeking out over his own stuff, you know, and basically being that guy, why, why not just surrender to them? And be like, you know what? I'm just gonna, there won't be any more books in this traditional sense. Like he's written, you know, he co-authored the the world of ice and fire, you know, so that sort of that encyclopedia exists and he could just go off and be that guy and just let it, let the world of, of Westeros exist in, and it's, it, it'll be the first time, but maybe not the last time. Like, you know, there's going to be other creators who are going to be in the same position five, 10, 20 years down the road. Like this isn't going to be a one-time thing. So it, there's an right. opportunity to sort of set up, a, you know, what could this be? And really, you know, not just, not just be depressed that he can't catch up and just, you know, be constantly, you know, feeling like he's trapped in Kathy Bates house, but and all the fans are like demanding like this book, like, why not just surrender? Be like, you know what? I I have put in more than enough time on this. Like, I want to write an episode again, or I want to be like, I want to be that guy who helps. You know, if they want to do an animated spinoff, like he's the guy that's like basically gets to have all the fun and not have to do all the work. I, I wish you would do that. And you and I know from like our professional work and our creative work, like you, you've got to have a release valve in there somewhere. Yeah. And yeah. if his if he thinks his only escape from this is a two thousand page book, then there's ne- he's never going to find that like release valve and your idea of like yeah why not write the story of john targaryen as a series of short chapters like the duncan egg adventures like just put out put out a short like you know not like actual i would call it a novella but only a novella in martin's world like it's actual novel length that just tells the john snow story just tells the daenerys story like we don't i don't I really don't give a shit what's happening at the Citadel. You know, like I, I don't care about massive, huge swaths of this world. Um, And for books, four and five were, were just huge, huge wastes of, of my time, you know? Well, that's, that's the other side of this coin that, you know, we don't often get into is that, yeah, he's, 
he's he's put all this work into the world, but the last two books weren't as good as the first three. And so you're right. like, are you know, are we waiting this whole time for just just to be disappointed? Now I'm obviously, you know, as I've confessed many times, I haven't read all the books. I just started with the show, and maybe one day I'll go back um, if I have time. But like, I just feel like the show for me provides most, with the exception of season five, provides most of you know a better glimpse into that, a more efficient glimpse into that world than I, than with the books. Um, I think about like, you know, another person comes to me. Well, before, before I get to that, the other point I was going to make is I think in his unique case, because he was so prolific in the past, because, yeah. you know, he did put all, you know, each book is massive. I think there's this other sort of expectation misguided or not from the fans. That's like, dude, you've already written massive books. Why is this so hard for you? It's like, you know, you are prolific. And I think that just speaks more to the fact that he just might be burned out on this whole thing. Like just the idea yeah, of having to I, finish is like, Dude, I just can't. Like, I just, I'm not as the excitement because when it's, let's, let's think about this. If you are a creator and you have, you have given birth to this world of these characters and a language and just all that stuff. And you are sort of the original, you know, you're the origin point for that story. Then every year that goes on, like, there's that sort of like, Ooh, I get to share with the world, you know, the, the real world, like this, you know, the, the next phase of the story, I get to tell you where these characters get to go. Once you don't have that control anymore, once sort of the, you know, the world has taken it from you and has, has run with it. I just don't see how it, in my own view, it can't be as fun or as interesting or that spark can't be, isn't quite the same. Right. So it's just like, why not? I don't know. I would imagine J.K. Rowling, who's a great, this is a great comparison point. J.K. Rowling, you know, the movies, the movies had started and she was, I don't think she had finished the second, maybe the last two or maybe the last three books when the first movie had started. So there was a race all of a sudden, like it was like a race against time for her to finish the book series before the movies catch up to her. And she did. I mean, it was kind of under the wire, but she did. And she did it to the point where I don't, I think they only took a year off in between movies. Like, I think every movie was basically every year where there was, I think there was one year where there was like kind of a, it was a mistiming, I think maybe because of the books, but she finished that last book and she locked herself, you know, famously locked herself in a hotel, you know, basically left her family, disappeared from public view and finished that goddamn last book. And, you know, there's a documentary on one of the Harry Potter Blu-rays where, you know, it kind of it follows her around during the last, you know, the launch of the last book. And it starts with her in that hotel room with a laptop finishing it up. And she talks about, you know, why she she's like, I'm, I needed to focus. I, I couldn't have any distractions. I just had to do this and just get it done. And, you know, she's still like, oh, man, I don't maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. But she turned it in and it was done. And just that feeling like seeing her go through the motions and just like actually just, you know, flip on the workman side of her of her creativity was inspiring and interesting and it's like that could have gone the other way that could have she could have just panicked and said i don't know and then the you know then the movies are sitting there on you know basically waiting for three or four years for her to finish and those movies much like game of thrones were you know their sets were built cast were you know all the cast was on contract like hey you were you know you got to come back every year and we got to keep going and if there's a, a, a you know if the production has to stop and you know crew and cast either have to be paid to do nothing or they get to go on to other jobs. And then it's a scheduling nightmare. So it very similar. She was, you know, she was in that same boat and I just feel like Martin is, you know, he's, he's missing momentum. You know, I think, I think we, and we, we started this little section about talking about Martin was, uh, you know, we didn't see any new chapters before the season uh, comes out. And we, he was making sort of regular con appearances and reading various chapters over the past several years. I, so I confirmed that Dance with Dragons was was 2011. So it's been six years, years since that book came out. And 
as I recall, it was sometime in the summer when it came out, I think. Yeah. Um, so when the show is, this is only our seventh season. It must've started in, I, you know what? I believe the show started in 2011. It did. I, I yeah, really no, think that's what happened. I think the book came out in the summer because I remember seeing it at Comic-Con and then uh, the show started that fall. And no, the show yeah. started that summer. So he, or, April, or, or sorry, sorry, that summer. So, so literally he has not published another book in the series since the show started, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, he had momentum right when it started, you know, he's working yeah. in the series, he's writing an episode every year. He's showing up at cons with these chapters and stuff, but I, it's just kind of, it's kind of faded out. I, and yeah. you can't really say that the show created those last two books because they were, they were done before the show ever aired. So yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, there are, I, honestly, like, I, I have no ill will towards Martin on any oh, of this. Oh, yeah, like, let's, I, let's I, make sure. I don't, yeah, I, not like, I'm not criticizing, I'm literally sympathizing as a guy who tries to write books and cannot imagine this predicament of how many thousands of pages you know like well and then with the uh, world watching and waiting and the fact that you know you are now you're now having to run behind a moving train that has passed you you know before it was i'll use one more metaphor like the before it was he had to lay the track he saw the train in the distance and you know the smoke was billowing out of the out of the top you know it was coming it was in the distance for a while and he's like okay i get still i'm still laying track i've got some time and then you know in the last two or three years that train has been you know right there and it's like when that train had to stop, he just, you know, you feel like the pressure and the, you know, the rumbling of it as it's right there as you're still trying to lay track. And now he basically, the train has basically veered off on another track and he had to stop laying his track and start to run after that train. And it's just like, I don't, I don't know how you do it. And again, I think honestly, we shouldn't expect, this isn't going to be like, like Tolkien where like everything's done. I think this is a unique opportunity to really think about what does a story look like in a modern, in the 2017 multimedia world. And it's a good, it's a good question to ask any creator, right? If you do comics or books or short stories or whatever it might be, if you get optioned for something else, like a movie or TV show or whatever that is, you should almost have a plan. Like what if, if at some point I still want to keep making my story and that, you know, you either have to decide, Hey, my story is going to just be its own thing and whatever other mediums exist is that's cool. And I'll, you know, I'll, you know, my blessing is on those things, but my story, I have no, I, I feel no obligation to make my story match what those things are. That's one option. The other option is, Hey, I'm going to, I'm basically launching a world. And I know from the get go that other people are going to basically have you know, get to play in the sandbox and the world will be whatever we all say it is. And it's not, and it will start with me, but it's not going to end with me and just kind of expect that going into it because then you're, then it's like, it's a lot more comfortable for you as a creator. Cause at some point, I mean, I would imagine he wants to do something else besides just oh, game of Thrones. God, Yes, of course. You know, he used to write TV shows. He used to write a bunch of stuff. This has consumed his life for the past 10, you know, for sure. Since the show has started, yeah. um, you know, years. And it's just like, at some point, I'm, I'm assuming like Lucas, you know, George Lucas famously always said, I want to do other movies. This isn't, I just don't want this to be my life. And it became yeah. his, I mean, Star Wars became his life. Like he couldn't yeah. escape it. Um, you know, even I his sub businesses, all the things that, you know, uh, industrial lights and magic, all the things that arrived as a result of the Star Wars universe are still tied to the Star Wars universe. Yeah. You know, it's, it's still like, so it's well, just, and, I, don't, I, don't know. I love this idea of like, what a better idea than to become the curator of that universe than the architect of it you know yeah yeah you can be both 
You know, it's like I was yeah. the original architect and now I'm the curator. And it's like, and, and he would love it. Like, you know, having people basically come to pay homage to be like, we'd love to do this yeah. comic. You know, what, tell us, give us the, the boundaries and everything. And he's like, oh yes, of course. And he, he can like go into his whole thing. And basically <laughs> that guy, and then it's like, then the, then the chain, like he's, he's free to do whatever he wants to do. And then nobody's going to give him shit about it. Like how awesome would yeah. that be? And of course it's so stupid, but fun for us to imagine. Like if we were in that person's place, but yeah. <laughs> You put another, just, you put something else. Just for the sake put, of that. <laughs> you put oh, something gonna, else in the notes though about Dark Tower. And I'm curious what this means. Oh, we had talked about that before, about the idea that like Stephen King wrote a novel or a series of novels and, and then basically said everything else uh, can contribute to this world. You yeah. know, like not like the TV show is really just going to build off that world. Comics can build off that world. Like what if, and it's kind of the Star Wars thing that we're saying. I mean, Martin could have done that. He could have, said hey you know five books is all you're getting out of me yeah let's let's put out a, a, a history of the world let's put out some short stories a tv show spinoffs whatever but like that's it you know like i he doesn't need to retell the story of that's being told in the show at this point yeah but well, especially for because the, the show like, is so you know the show is so cinematic at this point i'm not sure if yeah. book is going to do it as much justice to be honest well, I, so I was going to say, like, just for that that fun exercise of putting myself in his head, I think what I would do at this point is sit down and go, what are the loose ends that I absolutely have to finish? Yeah. Finish them up in one book. <laughs> yeah. And just put that out. And every other chapter, fucking Sansa getting engaged to Harold Harding and, you know, like mm-hmm. Sam being down at the Citadel with Gilly and all that bullshit, like make another world of ice and fire part two or something, you know, but don't put that in the novel. Just finish it up. Six books, make the sixth one, like as short as the first one, just wrap it up, you know, like make it a cool wrap up. That would be so great. Uh, there's, Oh, go ahead. (laughs) You asked me about like my enthusiasm of reading the books, you know, as I think we've talked about over the course of this long podcast, but, um, and I think that's the reason why I'm not enthusiastic is because I don't want to read a 2000 page book and then have to yeah. wait for another 2000 page book. Just give me a 300 well, especially page when book. Half book is stuff you've already seen before. Like, like oh, oh, you know, even if he word. takes or, you know, even or it's telling it in some weird different way just to be different or something. Yeah. We are like, that's not as good or that's better. But uh, I, the, uh, the dark tower thing is interesting. Cause it's, you know, it started off as Stephen King's unified string theory for his own work, right? Like it's, it's like, I'm going to do the impossible and find a way to connect the freaking shining to the green mile watch. And so like, that was, you know, that was kind of his method to do that. And in doing so, he created this even richer, deeper world that everybody's like, that was his opus. Yes. But it was also his sort of attempt to say everything I've written fits together in some weird way. And here's how, so from, from the beginning, it was almost meant to be this platform, you know, if you will, for, all the stuff. And I like that. The, I love that the movie is like, Hey, we're just an extension of that platform. We're not going to try to re tell you something that's happened in the dark tower book. Like this is another chapter in that. Like, I just love right. that fitting in the comics, you know, we're another chapter in that. And so I, I feel like it's as, as always, Stephen King is kind of like setting, I think like that is probably going to be moving forward, you know, for, for serious creators. Like that's the way to, to think about your work, unless you're just doing a one-off short story that you're like, this isn't going to be anything else. Although they said that about the Hobbit back in the day, that was meant to be just you know a one-off thing, and you know Jesus, because um, then the Hobbit no, came. That is no, that is what like Martin should look at the Hobbit movies and go, Christ, I don't want that to happen. 
my book. Well, Martin's too. Let Martin's just, one of the. Let me just wrap this up. But maybe yeah, he but loved Martin, that. Maybe he was like, I really wondered, what if the what if, should we tell the story of those orcs as little children? Let's go back and do that. He can get together with Lucas and do that. God, <laughs> I just that that brings to mind the fact that HBO is going to do spinoffs or prequels or whatever you want to call them. Um, and I'm not, you know, of Game of Thrones. Of Game of Thrones, and you know, we don't we don't know anything about you know which characters or which time period. I, I will tell you this: I am not that excited about that. You might be like, no, "Oh, you I'm guys host either. a podcast, aren't you? Aren't you thrilled that the world of Ice and Fire will continue?" I'm like, not really, because it's it's. I think anything that exists outside of the show that's you know that's filmed only deludes the show. I think once this is done, it will be such a epic body of work. Anything else you try to do is just going to feel like sort of second rate by comparison even what if you tell gonna, me like, like you can't go smaller you know no at this point you can't go back to telling the story of ario wandering the riverlands with the hound well not even that but like even if you tell me like we're going to show you how the targaryens took over to begin with and go back that far like yeah that's cool but it's just like knowing where knowing where the the future is going i just don't think that's just not as interesting to me like what's interesting about game of thrones right now is will the wall fall down will westeros yeah, yeah. be reinvaded by these eight we nobody knows this is all completely fresh powder and i just feel like prequels you just you know we saw what happened when a prequel isn't handled correctly a la you know episodes one two and three of star wars and we've seen what happens when it's handled really really well a la rogue one and it's such a freaking crapshoot, especially at that level. Like HBO is getting greedy now. They're like, ooh, we want more. Yeah. And, you know, and Benioff and Weiss, you know, they may be involved, but I doubt they have the energy or enthusiasm to keep going after this is all done. I would yeah. imagine they're like, yeah, we'll produce, but fine. we're not writing anymore. We're not going to be. And, and, and who knows? It may be amazing. I just don't. I think it's such a gamble that I would much rather see HBO invest that same time and money in something completely new. Like give me the next new cool thing I never knew I wanted. Yeah. I agree. And with that, let's move to a uh, positive conversation of what we're yes. looking forward to in this season. Um, and, and I would advise everybody go back and listen to the Wednesday and Westeros fan theories crossover episode. Oh, yeah. uh, Cause we definitely get into a lot of that there, but I think in addition to that, I, I mean, just big, big heavy hitter moments. I really want to see the dragons and all their glory just doing cool dragon things like burning mowing down lannisters mowing down white walkers you know i want to see a i want to see a scene it may not happen this season and maybe next season but i want to i want to see where a dragon is like you know funneling fire down on like the night king and he's repelling it back with some kind of ice power or something you know like just give me (laughs) give me as much fantasy because we've we have progressively added more and more fantasy elements as the seasons have gone on and and for good measure because like in the very beginning a lot of that stuff in the world of the show you know a lot of that stuff had passed into myth. You know, the reason that the right. Night's Watch exists had been almost forgotten. It's like, oh, yeah, that's just where we send all our losers and, and criminals and stuff. Like, yeah, they don't – the ones, you know – that well, it the, used the to be an wi- honor. Wildlings were their, or wildlings were their enemy, not the – Yeah, it's like, you know. it's like they somehow thought, oh, yeah, the wall was built to keep out the wildlings. Like, really? Like, just – the it. so we, we start the show or the start the story in, in a world that has, you know, kind of evolved beyond that. And each season is like a step back into – these really big mythological things that, you know, like the Targaryens are back in Westeros. And that was like, even that was like, oh, dragons never existed. That was just a bunch of nonsense, like fake news, you know, that never happened. Robert Targaryen, not Robert, uh, Robert uh, uh, um, Baratheon, Baratheon was, was really the, uh, 
the Donald Trump of Westeros, if you think about it. Like, he's just, like, constantly, like, remember that back in the first season? They're like, they're like hey, you know, um, uh, Daenerys Targaryen is actually alive, and she might, you know, she's kind of wandering around. We should probably do something about her. He's like, ha, yeah, that's, she has no dragons. That's just a bunch of bullshit. Like, that's not going to matter. <laughs> you know, like, he just, he was constantly, like, just kind of, like, downplaying everything. And uh, so I want to see that. I want to see, you know, the big moments, Jon Snow meeting Daenerys, um, you know, Arya meeting Sansa. Uh, yeah, just like the big, the wall falling down. I'm really hoping this whole thing ends, you know, this, this season ends with either the wall falling down or something at that level. Um, you know, the Targaryens battling, the, you know, the, the, the Tyrion maybe confronting Cersei or Jaime again. Um you know, what happens to Jamie and Cersei? Just like those, we're, we're to that place now where like the everything story-wise is going to be big. So like, I just want to see it all unfold. Yeah, I, um, I so I've been, re, I've been re-watching uh, from season two up and I just finished oh, season four. And well, season- skip five. You don't even need that. I'm pretty much going to skip five. And I've already watched season six like this year. So I take um, that back. Skip five, except for Hard Home. Just watch that. Right, right. Like, and then, you know, well, move on. And four, uh, I think we have previously kind of dismissed four as like it was hard to watch. We didn't really care about it. Like it wasn't moving it along the right uh, way or something. But that was four, more five to me. Five, four okay, was better. Okay, good. Four has a crazy body count and we so many important things happen in four in such quick succession and so i think what i'm anticipating is like um and it's funny even to think that in two and three i had this impression of like there were episodes where i I would go what happened there (laughs) you know like where are they going like i just i when i think back i think of like well you know Arya and the hound like just wandered forever and it's like no actually they they didn't now that i kind of have gone back and watched it i don't they have some side quests that i don't really care about that don't really advance stuff but in four joffrey dies in like episode two uh uh oberon dies not in a ned's head episode nine but in episode eight and then uh Tyrion kills tywin in 10 um and there's that huge uh battle with um there's a giant battle with uh, the wildlings in like nine. And then maybe in 10 is when Stannis's army sweeps in and decimates them. Oh, that's right. So it's yeah. like so much crazy shit happens in that season. I say all that as prelude to say, I hope in season seven, it's basically like that happens every week. I really yeah, want, I, I mean, it's kind of like what I want from the book. That. I want something to get answered definitively every week. You know, like, sort of every every interview that I've seen is basically like confirming that that is the case. Like, hey, we're done wasting time. Like, this is it's going to be like boom, boom. By, by the way, I was looking at the episodes on Wikipedia. Isn't it crazy to think that the Bear and the Maiden Fair was season three? That was yeah. season three. That yeah. was four years ago. Now I always think that like all the cool Brienne stuff was more recent, but that was season goddamn three. Wow. It's actually so. I haven't gone back and watched season one, but I I think that I may have transferred a lot of my feelings about season two and three. I think that might've come from season one. I actually think season mm. one is the one where it has a sort of too much clever talking for me, which yeah, I know is what does. drew me in. You know I mean? What, what I think drew in a lot of people was this idea that like the politicking was just as interesting as the action and the mm. fantasy of it. And that's definitely true. That's definitely what, what I liked. I mean, I remember just reading like book two, I thought was so 
crazy and it and it sort of disappointed me they couldn't get all that politicking and like backstabbing into the show you know like so much yeah. more happens and i was like oh this is just so juicy um yeah. but you know I, I guess now that we're near the end my perspective is you know let's just start wrapping these things up let's, <laughs> let's i think it's important out. to look at who's directing this season and i say that only because like you know having figured out that michael or sorry miguel sapochnik is so goddamn good um you know i'm eagerly looking for his name but then um jeremy pod uh murder this last name jeremy podeswa podeswa um jeremy podeswa is doing the first episode and the last episode of season seven and you may remember him from doing he did the red woman and home last year he's done um a lot of two-parters or a lot of uh, two episodes he did like a bunch in season five well that should give us pause then um, he came in on season five. I don't see him earlier than that. And then Alan Taylor, who's been around since season one, is doing the penultimate episode, the Ned's head of season seven. Alan Taylor, uh, yeah, Alan Taylor has got some, he's done all the last, yeah, he did the last episode of season one and two. He did the North Remembers. And he's been out, he's not been back I, since season two. So he's coming back. And by the way, I don't think we're going to get a Ned's head this season. I, I don't not. think I don't think we're going to have the rhythm that was established in those first three or four seasons. And even up until uh, I mean, honestly, even last year, I guess we had the Battle of the Bastards was that was nine. And then Winds of Winter was 10. I, I don't think it's going to be the same arc. I really and I think starting this episode of Winston Wester was talking about those episode lengths is probably a good indicator of like, I think a lot of this is if it's a 50 minute episode, we know it's going to be like expository. And if it's an 82 minute episode, we know it's going to be cinematic and it's going to answer a bunch of questions, you know, and I don't, I don't think we're going to have that sort of cranking exposition up to one huge climax for the season. Or at least I hope not. I hope it's just kind of like, you know, if anything, that, that finale that's 82 minutes, I bet that's where we have the cliffhanger. And that's what annoys me about having to wait till 2019 for season eight is if we have a a cliffhanger, cliffhanger, if the wall falls down, then I'm that's a great cliffhanger. I mean, like, you're not that's gonna just be because think about all the conjecture and theories that you can you can noodle on yeah. for a year and a half, you know, in the, in the meantime. Like, that's a great if the cliffhanger is oh, Daenerys kills John or you know, something like well, it's got to be the cliffhanger has got to be massive. And the only one that comes to mind is, is the wall falls down, um, yeah. And I just don't they screw that. with us and have that happen like in the, ep- the second episode, then it's like, holy shit, like, yeah, then what. Which might, I honestly, it probably should happen in like the first or second episode because I don't, what, where is, where are six episodes of the White Walkers above the wall? Like what happens there? That would be so boring. I feel like here, here's so how I've, I know it's not it, gonna be boring. It <laughs> just, no, no. I want that conflict to happen, you know? Oh, me too. Uh, me too. But that, I mean, we should, let's be honest, that needs to be all of season eight is White Walkers versus everybody. Because if you think about how everything's been consolidating, now we're down to like all the little fiefdoms and all the little infighting has basically been rolling into each other. So now we basically have Cersei versus, you know, everybody in Westeros, more or less, you know, her and, uh, you know, uh, what the hell, the the you know, the brother, um, Euron, Cersei and Euron versus everybody. Um, and then it's, it's, you know, then the Daenerys versus Westeros, but then I think Daenerys and John are going to, you know, once that alliance is firmed up, then it's Daenerys and John, you know, slash the North versus the Lannisters. So I think the, the crux of the story is how do we beat the Lannisters once and for all? 
And then while that's all gestating, I just like this constant, like, you know, building of the threat, building of the threat. Maybe all, you know, maybe at the end of uh, episode six, you see all the white walkers and all the, you know, the, the whites and everybody just amassed at the wall. And like everybody's, you know, just thousands upon thousands of them. And the spiders maybe come up, you know, show up too. Um, Cause as we know, they used to ride giant spiders at <laughs> all of that's at the wall. And then at the, at, at the end of seven, it's like, holy shit, maybe the, the battles, you know, the climax of the main battle is happening, but it's like the, the night King has the horn of winter. And then, you know, Sam down in ex- expository town or exposition town is going to like, you know, tell us about the, the horn of winter. Uh, exposition. You called him last time. Maester exposition. Yeah. Maester <laughs> exposition. So Sam. That's the only reason he's still around. Let's be honest. Like the only reason that dude is alive in an old town is to deliver big yeah. chunks of important lore that like, they should have just cast George R. R. Martin as being the grand maester. Like just put uh, him there. Like, oh my god just, oh it's gonna be like michael gambin man. i think or it's somebody to that somebody now, like that now i feel like we've they've really messed up by not throughout the series constantly cutting away to an actual george r, r. martin in like a wizard robe <laughs> he could be like town. the stan lee of this whole universe like it'll, it, you know they'll make it make sense so yeah just i mean we're gonna is. plug this over and over but seriously uh in that episode we did with fan theories where you and peter were <laughs> talking about michael gambin reprising his dumbledore role and like oh i found this ancient scroll that tells and just it cuts away to you know old town and he's just reading exposition out of a you know antique book i think that is so perfect um oh, i mean, I mean he, maybe that I 50 just, minute episode is just it's just a single shot of a dude at a desk reading out of a scroll for 50 minutes to fill in all the bullshit. <laughs> it's just, it's like, who is it? Who is going to be that? Grand and I was thinking though. of the, uh, you were saying that, and I was thinking of the Columbo character from Princess Bride where it just cuts away and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway. Hang on, I'm gonna like. Sorry, what, you're what, asking who is the Grand Maester. I'm um, gonna look that up, but you talk about your your other theory because I see on the notes you have a, a list of actually, theory about Ned. Yeah, it's funny. The, it's the only one that uh, I mean, there's there's tons of fan theories, but I hadn't heard this until after we did our fan theories episode, which is that um, Ned may not be dead, uh, and I, I vaguely remember some goofy stuff in the book. And when I was reading whatever article, I'll try to find it and put it in our show notes, but it was um, about that chapter in the book is told from Arya's point of view. And she's very far away. She's in the crowd. She can't, I mean, she accepts that it is her father that walks out, but she doesn't see his face. And when he kneels, he's mumbling something. And so there is this chance that he warred into an eagle or something if it was Ned. And there's Uh-oh. also this chance that it might have been a faceless man. And there's a crazy uh, theory that, that it might have been like um, uh, like uh, a, a jockin who could have been in the cells with Ned and somehow huh. swapped faces with him or something like that. Although that doesn't really make sense because the faces come from dead men and whatever. But the warg thing, I think, is really interesting. Um, and one of the things that got me interested in the books way back when was John Hodgman did an excellent interview with George R. R. Martin on, I believe, The Sound of Young America, a podcast which is now called Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. Um, definitely look up that episode on MaximumFun.org. Uh, it is really good. And this was before I'd even read the books, I guess, and I was just kind of dipping my toes in it. And Hodgman talked about one of the really interesting things about your books is, you know, dead doesn't always mean dead. Um, and 
even when he said that, I was like, I wonder if they're talking about Ned. You know, like that was one. Of those, so when I read this theory, I, I went, man. what if the death that I, I it's not a good literary device because what separated Game of Thrones and Song of Ice and Fire from all fantasy literature was they killed the hero protagonist with all the honor in that first series. And that was so important, you know, that that happened. Yeah. And so well, I, I don't think like in a literary device, I don't think it works very well, but it my is question, if that, let's say that's true. My question is what the hell was Ned doing in the time in between? Like, it yeah, better be, it better well, be it, good. You know, because like I don't, I, I don't know if there's any justification that's like, oh, he was busy doing this. I'm like, it does. None of that, none of that answers the fact that he had never bothered to get in contact with any of his kids to be like, yo, this is the plan. I'm still alive, and here's this. Like, well, not, not I once. Know. And, you know, it's like, and what the, do you? Why? Honestly, I think that's where a lot of sort of Game of Thrones conspiracy theories fall apart. Is the showrunners have done an excellent, like, amazing job of planting things way back like through the series if there's going to be payoff on something it is you know i mean if it's the three-eyed raven um brand has been seeing that before anyone even says the words three-eyed raven you know that kind of yeah. thing it's yeah. like um when you go back and try to watch season two i mean try to imagine it with a an open mind and to to think well does you know, i mean when i was watching it i don't think that i i went oh I, what does that three-eyed raven mean what are we going to yeah. find out about that? You know, it just shows up and it's, it's stitched together so well. And I, I like a really crazy thing that uh storm of spoilers brought up when they did their season two recap. And when I went back and watched it, I, I saw it too. And even though I just heard them talk about it, I was still like caught off guard by it is that mm. there's, there's a really funny meme of when Stannis is with um the, uh, uh, the the watch at the wall and someone says less men or something like that and it cuts to Stannis in the background going fewer and <laughs> and mm. people made a meme of him saying fewer it's grammatically correct you know you don't have a less number you have a fewer number oh I see and yeah, uh, yeah. but that is actually a callback to season two <laughs> he's on the boats <laughs> with uh um sir davos and davos says something about less ships or something like that and stannis goes fewer <laughs> and we all kind of missed it in season two like it was just a part of di their dialogue it wasn't as funny uh a stinger you know and so when mm -hmm. it shows up in season five or whatever it became this like hilarious thing but it was actually that was a part of his character that had been established three years earlier you know wow. so anyway I, they've just done such a good job of connecting all the lines like that, that mm -hmm. things like Ned warging into a bird are ridiculous. That turns into a total yeah. deus ex machina thing because uh, if that were ever to happen, the showrunners would have been planting things like, you know, bird's eye views of the city and his children and stuff like that. And, you exactly. know, there would have, there yeah. would have been all these, these shots that later on we would have discovered like, Oh, that was Ned, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. I really think that they had a really good view of where this was going. And uh, then it became a huge chess game of like, how do we get those pieces on the board or maybe a game of risk? You know, how do we get all yeah. these pieces on the board and moved from A to B? Uh, and, and, you know, when we book readers nitpick details and stuff like that, that's where those are the casualties of that kind of plotting. But the, uh, 
benefit of it is that it is very, very consistent to rewatch and see a lot of those overarching things. So like a lot of, well, you know, let me put it a different way. And, you know, we have Spider-Man homecoming uh, coming to theaters this week, this week. Imagine, imagine if uncle Ben secretly didn't die. And, you know, you have all of the motivations, all of the agency of Peter Parker is based on the fact that Uncle Ben frickin died. And he basically, you know, he was indirectly responsible for that, you know, depending you pick your pick your sort of version of the story. If all of a sudden you have Uncle Ben come back to life and it's like, oh, no, his brain was taken by the uh, by the Osbournes. And it's been you know, in this thing this whole time. And he act, we've recreated him. And here he is. And it's like you take away. Everything you take, I mean, you could even argue, well, Spider-Man has been, you know, had become Spider-Man and this is just him basically having that chance at his life back. But you, the whole sort of moral agency of the story falls apart as soon as you do that. And I feel like the same thing, the entire journey of, of Arya, Sansa, all of them, it's, it's, it's in, it's heightened and it's given more weight by the fact that they keep losing these people close to them, especially the ones that are yeah. the very embodiment of nobility and, and, you know, honor. And it's like, if, as soon as you bring that person back to life through some way or another, like it just, the whole, it, the story starts to fall apart in a big, bad way. And then like the domino right. effect of like, well, maybe they, then it, why the hell yeah. were they, why was Arya allowed to basically, you know, why was Sansa allowed to basically be to basically suffer like if there was a scene like going back to your point if we had seen a scene where like a raven landed you know while brienne was keeping watch over sansa to try to save her like if a, if a, if a raven or some creature landed and was like a little too helpful and you're like wait what was that about like then you'd be like okay you know he was trying to if that was ned somehow he was trying to to fill in the gaps but then all of a sudden if ned can warg what the hell's the point of brand you know what's the, what's the point of all that stuff if if all of a sudden every stark kid can just warg at will like it's just a magic power that just, you know, reveals itself whenever it needs to. Like I just, eh, it's too many things. I agree. And I think the, the, the show has made some tough choices there because some of those things uh, honestly work better. They, there would be an interesting, you know, it's like when we were talking about that Brett Easton Ellis quote, there's no ambiguity in film that I was bringing up. Like you can't, you mm-hmm. can't, uh, there can be a literary device. Like when brand dreams in the, you know, second season, second book, and he is a wolf running through the fields. We don't really know if that's a dream or if he's actually, you know, we, we later discover, oh, he can actually go into his wolf's body and do that. So when yeah. Arya dreams in the books that she is running through Westeros in the body of her wolf, we don't really know. Like in the books, it's ambiguous. Is she really warging when she's sleeping into her wolf that's, you know, Nymeria that's been gone for so long? Um because we we know that Bran can do that, so we're confused. But if they did that in the show, it would almost be like, oh wait, she definitely warged into that wolf, and so they they almost have to leave it out entirely because it's harder to represent it as like an ambiguous dream and and leave the audience in that state of, you know. Dude, I'm uh, still running into uh, people like I said, Lady Stoneheart's going to show up. Like still, even really? even like I was on Io Nine earlier, and there are still See, freaking, I, there. There's not many, but they're still out there. Like, oh, she'll show up. Don't you worry. I'm like, what yeah. would the point be? And nobody, it's like there's a certain right. that, demographic of fans. Like, well, there's oh, a certain demographic like, of fans who, I, I am a huge fan of the show because I'm a huge fan of very strong, logically based storytelling. And as soon as you betray <laughs> that, I'm not as much fan of the show anymore. There are another, there's another subgroup of fans who just want every ship and fan theory to be put on screen. And it's like, no, the show right. wouldn't be good if you did that. Like, d- d- no. 
And it's like, there's just no convincing them otherwise. And the, the show could end and they would still be like, well, there'll be another episode. They'll do like a, a wrap up episode later on. And they'll still, they'll show what she's been up to. And then they'll show her and that will be, I'm like, no, no do not. No, it wouldn't make any goddamn sense. No. Just, and the, her falls into that. Ex, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Her exclusion makes more sense now, <laughs> you know, because I mean, it's, and like I said, that's, it is, it is, it was aggravating in the moment and I'm sure it will be aggravating through the next two seasons. Although we're past the book. So book readers kind of can't get aggravated anymore, but that's where those things were, where the showrunners had to change details in order to advance the plot. Yeah. Which is super confusing. And I think there are really legitimate criticisms to how they handled, you know, rape or violence against women as a plot device or, or, you know, like a, almost like a trick, you know, to just kind of like horrify or, 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 elicit sympathy or or anger or whatever it was supposed to do in the moment and they weren't really considering the characterization because they really were trying to advance the plot yeah and uh they you know they had to get certain characters to a certain place like they couldn't they couldn't let uh, this is a terrible thing but you know it's just you think of the, the ramsay sansa relationship like they didn't have another season to figure out how to get sansa from the eerie to Harold Harding, to wherever George Martin's going to get her up there to where like she rescues Jane Poole or what, whatever was going to oh, happen. Jesus. You know? Can you imagine so if Jane like, Poole had actually been a thing in the show? Like how confusing it would be. I yeah. mean, especially with Arya, like face, you know, face dancing and everything like you, oh, yeah. I just can't imagine. So I, I think there are a bunch of mistakes that the show made in that way of like, or like, or at least that not mistakes, but there, I don't know. There, there are bad things they did <laughs> yeah. in their, in their characterizations and in their, uh, writing um, that we can legitimately criticize, but it, it this overall consistency of like plot and tying up the loose ends and moving towards that goal has been just so solid, you know? So yeah, I, this is all to underscore your point of we can't bring in Lady Stoneheart, I wouldn't think, or we, and we certainly don't want to bring Ned back from the dead because it just, it undermines the whole idea that like all these plot threads were tied together. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Lady Stoneheart stuff in the book, the coolest thing about it is that the red wedding has happened in book three and everybody has gone holy shit i can't believe that happened mm-hmm. and then the book ends with this uh apparition sort of figure not an apparition but like a you know this zombie like figure uh e- extracting revenge and so you end on that note and it is a great cliffhanger in that regard because it doesn't really have to do with the the plot of stuff so it almost would have been cool if they if that were like episode 10 of season three, but then it wouldn't make any sense to be at the start of a new season because we don't want to have a whole season of, you know, Brian's story is gone. Like we don't need lady Stoneheart hanging her and shit like that. It's just, (laughs) it's so stupid. Like it's, it's like bringing back a, (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's so goofy. Um, (laughs) I forgot. Yeah. Let's let's, okay. Everybody out, every fan, Jones and for Lady Stoneheart. Let's just remember one simple thing. She hangs Brienne without any yeah, yeah. logic or reason, or it just there's no point to it. She hangs Brienne. Like that that just seems like a little bit of indulgence from, from George R. R. Martin that just wasn't we didn't need that. Like I don't I just don't Dude, understand I, you know books four and five or stuff like that. Like let's hang Brienne, but she does convince her to release her or something like that. Like, okay, well, why yeah. did we waste 20 pages reading about that? Yeah. I don't, what, yeah. But even that's not even important, man. Why did we read 20 pages about some guy running through the streets of old town 
like picking pockets. Oh, Jesus Christ. Man. I distinctly remember though. I remember in another episode of this show, you had said you had, you'd expressed some sort of, you know, optimism or excitement on the fact that, you know, if we saw like the last climactic battle and you're like, and the, the camera would pan across and we'd see there, Lady Stoneheart would be there. And like, just, you were kind of listing off all the characters that you would <laughs> just to throw in. And I'm like, I remember thinking, please no i just no it, it turns into like one of those comic book things where it's like uh, uh secret wars or or civil war or something yeah. where you have that that yeah. battle where it's like there's a hundred superheroes there's this huge cra- like instead of just an army of red shirts that are all going to get wasted it's like every person on that field is <laughs> someone significant Some there's seen, yeah ne- there's a eagle with Ned's face on it, you know, various the merman <laughs> swimming in the river behind them and Lady Stoneheart like flying from a tree or something. It's so stupid. I'm now scared to see any kind of concept concept art of Ned's of of freaking uh what's his face his head on top of an eagle. Like, oh god, <laughs> can, you imagine? can we make that the Wednesday Westro <laughs> season seven like podcast album cover? <laughs> Not only can he warg, but he can sort of like, you know, half becomes, uh, half yeah morph the head but he he's not good at it so it's just like it's like the head and maybe oh like the, like a, a toe on the on the foot is like a human toe and like the rest I like real now this is what i want i'm telling you let's let's just have a whole podcast that's just our spinoff ideas because here's what i want to pitch <laughs> lady stoneheart is back that's in my pitch <laughs> and she uses her magic to bring back the rest of the starks except they have to come back in the way that they died so she has a big gash on her neck she has to sew Ned's head onto an eagle because he warged into that eagle, but she but his head got chopped off, so she sews that on. But Rob, he comes back with the wolf's head, <laughs> and his real head yeah. is just there. Like somebody, some some peasant has collected his head, his real head, and it's just yeah. like bodied on a shelf somewhere, like just uttering like just various things. Like oh, you know, yeah. Uh, it's like wait how can you talk you don't have lungs well you know it's just uh yeah it's that's that would be the best thing of all it's like after the end of all this we find out that lady stoneheart is the true villain of this entire show and it's really (laughs) if we had just gone back and killed catelyn stark properly the first time all of this could have been avoided but thank you for reminding me maybe this is a good summary note is that when we were talking in the fan theories episode um especially about the Azora high and could it be Daenerys and also the um, just the ship of John plus Daenerys. I, there's a thing we've brought up before, or maybe at least I've pushed it is that this whole thing takes on a different uh, perspective. When you start to think about Daenerys being the villain of Westeros, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I still think there's a chance of that. And I don't, think it in a like a conspiracy theory sort of way of like let me put all the clues together but i but i think they're there you know uh uh is she daughter of the mad king or or uh niece or she's something daughter. No, she's daughter um there's remember john snow is uh, her nephew her insistence through like four seasons of how she was born to rule the seven kingdoms is so ridiculous and far-fetched and like especially when i rewatch it i remember all the irritation i felt with her constantly claiming about how her people would welcome her and stuff i'm like bitch nobody knows who the fuck you are everyone thinks you're (laughs) dead i don't like that's so aggravating to me that she uh that her character was not humbled that way and i think the only reason she wouldn't be humbled is because she's a fucking psychopath Mm -hmm. and you know and she comes in with this horde this dothraki horde that literally all they know is like raping and killing Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't know. I just think she there's still a she's a uh, 
I don't know in the uh, alignment chart if she's a chaotic good or like a, 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 a you know a chaotic evil or something. She's over there on the chaos end, I think. I do not think she is lawful. She is but not here's a lawful. The, okay, so let's but let's look at just the the constraints of time that we have. There are two seasons left. We still have to basically yeah. battle Cersei, who is you know pretty clearly set up as like the current big bad. That's yeah. not you know the north of the wall. I, I would imagine it's going to take all of the season to at least, or at least half of the season to deal with her. If the real villain is the Night King and all of everything north of the wall, if that's the real, true, ultimate threat, do we really want to take the time to go and like be like, well, Danny is actually the secret big bad, and she's the real, because she yeah. doesn't have to be defeated before we deal with the White right. Walkers. I would hope, unless. They somehow give yeah, us yeah. this weird thing where it's like Daenerys is invading. Like she's as equal of a threat as the White Walkers. So then the people of Westeros have to band together to fight both of them. And the real song of ice and fire is these two opposing forces bearing down on Westeros. Who will win? You know, like maybe that, yeah, and maybe yeah. that's the way they go. And I can see some. some no, I, I'll clarify. But, you know? I don't think she's going to be the big bad, but I think there's a real possibility that she is an agent of chaos that when she yeah. hits Westeros, stuff goes badly in a way that we are not expecting you know like i don't think yeah. she hits as a conquering army and is like hailed as a champion i yeah, think no, stuff no. gets ugly well, <laughs> or it's it's, just... i don't know though because definitely in the show they have done in the in even starting in season four when she's conquering the slave cities they're definitely building her up into the liberary late liberator and the you know leader role but mm -hmm. just watching seasons two and three again you know i'm like so frustrated all over again with her just uh, but whining. it's her arc right her arc is to try to figure out how to be not like her brother or her father you True, know there's but she's never humbled there's no part of her that's ever like humbled i feel and maybe that's what's coming in the books because in the books she's still fucking lost out in the middle of nowhere the dothraki horde hasn't even picked her up but don't so, you think that whole Dothraki picking her up is a little more like, you know, she had this, she was the conqueror of Marine. And then I think, I feel like the only reason she was sent out to the wilderness is to just give us one more of those, whether or not you, you bought into it is another thing, but why, why have her, you know, flee, you know, flee Marine be dropped, um, be dropped in the wilderness, picked up and basically like, you know, molested by a Dothraki horde. What's the point of that? If not to knock her down a few pegs one last time, before she has to to go across, and, and again, she you know she wasn't there very long. She sort of you know had another like triumphant Danny moment, you know, walking out of the fire and everything. It may have, and maybe it only that just served to embolden her even more. I mean, I don't know. I I would hope that they play with that, you know, like so even if John you know forges an alliance with her, maybe he's like, man, I don't know if I should trust her. Like I I like that there there is still some uncertainty. You know, even though she's there and they're like, hey, we're all going to team up to face the White Walkers. Like, I like that there's like, you know, some rogue element still involved. Like, man, I don't know if we should trust her, even though Tyrion's there. Because keep this in mind, Tyrion has now pledged his loyalty to her. Tyrion and Jon are, you know, they go back. They have a relationship. They, you know, they sort of trust each other. So there's all these other people surrounding her that are like, you know, can vouch for her. Like, hey, man, you know, we've been through it with her. She's She's up to the task. Like, she's all good. So I just like that there's still, and maybe it's one of those things where after they beat the White Walkers, there's another episode or two that is like the, you know, in, in Lord of the Rings, after they beat Sauron, they go back to the Shire and it's not in the movies, but it's in the book oh, right, right, where right. there's yeah. this scourging of the Shire and it's like Frodo's, 
last sort of like, you know, you think that, oh, they beat the, they, they beat Sauron, everything's cool, but they go back to the Shire and they have to basically kick out, you know, cause in the, in, in the book, in the time that they were away, Saruman has sent his forces to occupy the Shire. And you see in the movie, they do a little, a little flash forward when he's looking into the pool, uh, Galadriel's right. pool. He sees like the Shire basically like, you know, turned into this like, industrial yeah. like wasteland. That actually does happen in the book. And then Frodo and his friends have to conquer that, you know, basically you know, get the Shire back all on their own. I think the whole point of that scene is, you know, you may think like, well, why after a climactic battle would they throw that in? And it's like the last thing Frodo has to do to prove that he has, you know, he's, he's grown up he's become the you know sort of the wise warrior that you know gandalf always kind of thought he could be and i i, I wonder if we're not going to have that like after they beat the white walkers like if they beat the white walkers and like the final you know like in the like uh, episode four of next year or episode five and you're like wait there's still one episode to go like what are they going to do maybe that final thing is like the you know, the madness of denarius like finally has to be dealt with either she has to confront it um, or something, you know, maybe there's like a, a hunger games moment where they're all sitting around a table, like, okay, who, who's going to be in charge here? Cause right now it's pretty hard to tell. Like there's so many alliances and like, you know, yeah. betrayals and blood rights and like, and Gendry walks in and they're like, Oh God damn it. Now you're here too. All right. So now we've got to deal with all this. Who's, who's it going to be? And you know, just figuring that out, you know, <laughs> it'd be so awesome. It's going to be so awesome. If Gendry ends up ruling the whole thing at the end of the day, like the dude that is just like, I was just a blacksmith. I had no idea who my dad was i didn't give a shit i was out on a boat yeah. for four years and you want me to be king all right i guess you know that just i i would love that if somehow um one more thing jim broadbent has been cast as marwin the grand maester of um, old town so jim broadbent not michael Gambon. jim broadbent has been around okay <clears throat> let me see he's is it, God, he's is been he around for james so no, Jim Broadbent, he was Harold Jim? Ziedler in Moulin Rouge. Gotcha. He was in Cloud Atlas as like know. seven different characters. He was also, um, for Harry Potter fans, he was uh, the, I forget his character name, but he was the uh, the uh, original po- uh, potions uh, master. Um, he's kind of like the cowardly Slytherin guy who sort of, yeah. uh, what, I forget his name. But anyway, Please. I love him. I love him because he is the only actor in the world who can modulate his voice convincingly. Like half of his characters are like, Oh, I'm up here. And then half of his characters, he can be down here. And you like, you, you buy it either way. Like you don't know what his real speaking voice actually is, which is kind of fun. So we have to meet some new character. Damn. Yep. yep. But he's, <laughs> he's going to be, he's going to be the guy, the light the you know, the, the dude at old town. That's like, Sam, you need to know. I mean, it's all going to be captain exposition stuff, right? And it's none of it's going to be, if they try yeah. to give us some kind of like, oh, Gilly and Sam's relationship, like, I, who gives a shit? Like, I'm going to know time's being wasted if we see anything more than Sam. Like, you know, she can be there, like, fishing books out of the shelves for him, but that's all we need to see of Gilly ever again. We don't need, we does not matter. Uh, yeah. No, I've rambled on oh, way too long. No, no, no. I'll, I want to, I want to throw in my other crazy chaos theory, which is that if we're talking about a, I, I don't think there's any possibility of this, but, uh, when we were talking about Azora High last week, I then when I rewatched, I was like, I wonder if Podrick <laughs> could be. I don't. I, there's no clues for Podrick being Azora High, but I think Podrick may do something badass. Oh, I think that's guaranteed. Podrick Gendry, I, I don't know. There's just some. Uh, there's some stuff there where I think I think he there's some like secret competence to him, but I don't know. Maybe not. Um, anyway, 
that's a you ended on a strong note. I weakened it. I'm sorry for mentioning Podrick, but let's do the plugs and get out of here because we have rambled yeah, for a long time. This, we thought we originally thought this was gonna be a short one, and it's kind of turned into. A I know. I was like, I can't talk about Game of Thrones today. There's only this one bit of news. All right, <sighs> where can people find us and talk Game of Thrones with us? Yeah, so we're online at findusthere.org. That's our official website, findusthere.org. You can also get us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. Uh, all of them, find us there. Uh, look for that yeah. username, find us there on all those networks. And definitely, if you're on Twitter, hit us up. If you're on Facebook, join in the discussion. We want to hear, yeah. you know, you're, if you you hate everything we said, let us know. If you're like, no, I love that thing that Todd said, like, let us know that too. We want to we want to get into it with you off episode. Yeah, we have uh, in years past, um, like I've hosted Game of Thrones comment discussions on my blog, but we really want to move that to uh, Facebook and Twitter where our handle is find us there. So find us there with that handle, find us there on either of those platforms. And every week we, we just want to have like host a Game of Thrones discussion. Um, yeah. And you can find this podcast everywhere that great podcasts are found. Stitcher and iTunes and Google Play and Pocket Casts. And uh, I think we're on Podbay. I don't know, but on SoundCloud too. Uh, I And I think that's probably it. And we will try to do maybe one more um, uh, preview episode and then we're just going to jump into the season. So yeah, until then, seven blessings to you, Taylor. And Azora High to you. 